Hello, I'm Anthony Santa. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And this is Fusion Health Radio, episode 34. Mindfulness, mindlessness, and you. Welcome to Fusion Health Radio, your source for inspiration, information, and insight on what it really takes and what really matters on your journey to abundant health. Hello and welcome back to Fusion Health Radio. If you are a loyal listener and welcome if this is your first time here. I'm Anthony Santa in studio today with Dr. Michael Smith. Uh, We're going to be talking about, uh, let's see, going into outer space of sorts. (laughs) Or inner space. Outer, inner space, that sort of thing. Uh, Pretty interesting topic. Uh, Michael and I just sort of pulled the rabbit out of the hat with this topic for the day um, with regards to um, our podcast um, we're going to keep you in suspense for just a couple of minutes longer here as we talk about uh, who Michael is and what he knows how to do. Michael, introduce yourself to our listeners. So I've been practicing a combination of traditional Chinese medicine, functional medicine, and nutrition uh, about 20 years now. Uh, primarily focus on chronic complex autoimmune disease. So typically if you're going to come and see me, you've been referred to me because you've been diagnosed with probably two, three, or four really hard to pronounce diseases. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I was one of those... I don't know that I actually had an official designation for disease or not, other than the fact that my belly hurt. <laughs> That's about as official as it got. Uh, and after um, about a year or so of working with Michael, uh, we pulled out the microphones and started recording a podcast because we get on like a house on fire. Me with lots of questions and him with lots of answers. So uh, that's why I'm here. And I'm sure that's why you're here too as a listener. Um, the podcast that we've done, uh, 34 episodes so far, I mean, that's including today, but uh, talking about all kinds of topics. Uh, last time we talked about uh, gut health and brain health. Uh, do you want to give folks a little bit of a recap on what we talked about? Um, well, I mean, the podcast is called Heal Your Gut, Heal Your Life. So uh, obviously that's going to have a lot to do with mind, um, mindfulness and cognitive health, neurological health too. Uh, mostly it was just looking at um, the effect of the ecology of what lives inside the tube of your gut. Uh, the effect uh, clinically of what happens when the tube itself starts to break down or get holes in it. Uh, What happens to your immune system when you're literally pooping into your bloodstream? What happens to your liver when you're literally pooping into your liver? And uh, what happens when some of the bug poo gets into your brain? So yeah, lots of tummy stuff. But if you can take care of your gut health in the sense of all of those uh, factors from gut bugs to happy livers to happy brains, you're going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was the the big takeaway for me. And certainly that's been my uh, personal experience as well. Uh, my disposition improved when my digestion improved uh, to a great extent. Uh, and so that sort of, I guess, brings us to today. This is uh, going off in a different tangent of health, maybe not necessarily uh, between my nipples and my navel <laughs> with my gut health. I just wanted to say that on the air. So I just thinking nose to tail and nipples to navel are now going to have to have some, I don't know, it's a meme. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, mindfulness, mindlessness, and you. Uh, Michael, do you want to sort of give a synopsis of what you think that is well i just love that when it comes to the concept of or the practice of meditation the use of uh, psychotropic plants and things like that um we think of the idea of mindfulness as it's a good state to be in i think you know you're attentive you're calm you're appreciative uh, hopefully creative in how you live in the world but the idea of mindful is just sort of a fun thing to say um, maybe I'm going to sound like a stoner or something here. Well, man, mindfulness is like the wrong word. But, you know, obviously if you can have more space in, in mind, then 
obviously in that sense you're more mindful so i just think it's a fun play on words when you think of mindfulness but you're actually looking for mindlessness or less busyness of your mind to take this i don't know a little farther afield especially for those who have experience with deep meditation practice and or uh, the use of psychotropics uh, the idea of you or the idea of a me or a noun that sort of runs the show is kind of the the game of meditation and that kind of the thing you really confront with psychotropic uh, um, you know plant teachers and stuff like that is you really become aware that um, you're effectively a puppet hmm. and as a puppet interacting in the world please if you're listening to this give me two minutes before you run screaming away not, i don't literally mean you're all puppets <laughs> um in the sense of if whatever you bump into in the world that gets you dirty like literally like if you fall in the mud puddle that's actually happening to your puppet you know in the sense of your body uh whatever happens to you in the sense of relationship and getting hurt although that happens to you as a whole human being and perhaps as a soul uh, whatever that means um effectively how much you take on that trauma and difficulty as a part of you i mean that's a choice uh we're going to learn from however we adapt to those kind of conditions anyway but the reason i bring up the image of a puppet is what happens if you decide you're more interested in what actually makes the puppet move in the sense of if i had a little sock puppet which i don't but i see a sock over there on the floor and he threw <laughs> off his foot because it's so hot in here but uh, I could put your sock on my hand for the sake of <laughs> no one else getting this better than you do. But so if I got a little sock puppet on my hand and I'm moving my hand around, it's actually the hand that matters. So it's making a distinction as conscious beings. Uh, how much of us that we actually identify as ourself is the puppet, the part of us that just bumps into the world and gets messy and tries to figure it out. And how much of us in any given day, in any given conversation, it's actually the hand. And this is something I actually share with people I teach meditation to and a few other things, sometimes patients who are going through a lot in their in their lives is, and I'm going to do this with you right now, if that's okay, Anthony. Sure. So here you are as a puppet, and here I am as a puppet in the sense that there's a something within me that's moving me around. And I'm waving my arms. You can't see me, but I'm waving my arms to just make the point. Mm -hmm. So what happens if I decide to interact with you, Anthony, not as the puppet, Michael, to the puppet, Anthony, but as the hand within me speaking to the hand within you, which is the same hand? Is that a question you want me to answer? Well, it's just a moment of how we look at each other through our eyes. Because hmm. there's a different mode of interaction and inquiry and awareness when you're looking at each other as the hand seeing the hand than as me trying to figure out, I don't know, and thinking of like, I don't know, male primate BS stuff that could happen between two men in a room. They could go that way or we could just notice that we we're both sentient beings. Mm-hmm. Um. When you, I just got to say this before you get too far with it. When you talk about the hand, um, I'm sure there's somebody uh, listening right now who's going, hand? What the is that? You know, like, and, and um, mostly because of how people come to um, the ideas that they carry that bring them forward every day uh, that are focused around religion, mm -hmm. around, um, you know, it's a soul that lives in me. And it's something that's... Um, that's not necessarily me. Like, the, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too existential into that whole conversation. But I, I, um, the way you're describing that, I almost hear it as being uh, confrontational um, in a way. Because I think some people may not hear it in kind of the mechanical way is what you're describing. You're not necessarily saying that the hand is... Um, how, am I, how am I trying to describe this? As you... As you 
use your words to sort of describe what's going on for us in this human bag of skin and meat and bones and all this kind of stuff. Um, I'm just aware that there might be some people out there who are kind of like going and shaking their fists going, ah, Michael Smith, you're full of shit, you know? Well, if you take it religiously, uh, then take it religiously. Hmm. If you think that what I mean by the hand is the soul, uh, cool. If you think of what I mean by the hand is the God, cool. Uh, notice that I'm making some really probably mildly cynical and annoying fun of English because everything in English that matters is a noun. And that's different in other languages? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. English is a terrifyingly box-driven language. I mean, in the Dene language, you have to make things a noun on purpose. Right. And Dene, yeah. so, so sorry, just to be clear yeah. for our listeners, remind them again what Dene is to you. <laughs> right. So Dene is a First Nations or Native American language um, that... My people speak <laughs> right so somewhere in your history uh that uh people and that language exists uh and i speak a bit of it so yeah yeah sure um so i just want to dive into this back to where we were just a second ago when i'm speaking about the puppet and the hand um and i'm changing my timbre of voice on purpose a little bit i'm not here to tell people what to do or how to think, or how to feel, or who they are. When I talk about the puppet in the hand, what I'm hoping is people will go, I wonder what he means by that, and sit still for a moment and feel, well, wait a minute, that's kind of true. Like, there's the me that I can bump into, and I'm used to, and is, I mean, I pull up my resume and read it to the girl I meet at the bar, and hopefully that that's going to work out in the way that primates want things to go, and all of that stuff. But when I, in my own practice, uh, say with Qigong, martial arts, meditation, uh, the use of psychotropic plants and things like that. Um, it's about, I wonder what that means. I wonder what that is. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. Mm. And almost a sense of wonder. I love that word wonder because it means two completely different things that wrap around and like include everything. You know, in the sense of if I'm in a state of wonder, like, wow, that's a pretty great place to be. But I can only get there if I shut up and stop being negative. Anywho. So, uh, I guess it's really just meant to bring up the opportunity of inquiry for people because mm -hmm. as a state of being inquiry, I think is much more interesting than re re I don't know, reciting things that you can do in your head. Okay. Well, I, I'm, gl I'm glad you said that. Cause, um, I mean, as, as much as I'm part of this podcast, I too have one of the, am one of the listeners, mm -hmm. uh, I'm listening attentively during this conversation to the point where, um, quite often I have my own, um, uh, reservations or ideas or inspirations or whatever it is that comes to mind um, drive this conversation so i would i would hate for you to lose somebody on the other end uh, based on um, your choice of words i'm so glad that you can help edit that because i guess i'm so used to the uh, i don't know my social circle my peers my i don't know Dog. sense of humor you know my <laughs> kid whatever i mean there's people i interact with that uh, are mirrors for me and I'm just used to that way of being so I'm really glad you've got hopefully a multicolored mirror to, to <laughs> keep me from sounding like an asshole <laughs> <laughs> that's why I wear my glasses when we're talking <laughs> so I can so I can listen better okay so um the the hand was one thing that uh, uh I pick up on it was what you've said so far uh the other thing um I guess we probably should have said first but we're saying it now you said the word psychotropic mm -hmm. 
What the heck is that? Oh, yeah. So that would be basically something that changes fundamentally um, what you would rely on in the sense of consciousness. So if you take uh, something like LSD or magic mushrooms, which are pretty common things people do in adolescence in this part of the world, um, you're going to have what people would describe as a consciousness expanding experience, Mm -hmm. which means you're going to experience things that are unfamiliar to you. And I'll go back to the puppet in the hand, and if that's okay as a metaphor, but there's things that are unfamiliar to you as the puppet that you're actually really quite willing to embrace as the hand. And that's the dance with using psychedelics or hallucinogens and stuff like that uh, with respect to a medical therapeutic purpose or a spiritual exploratory purpose. I mean, I'm not really here promoting the accidental overdose of anything uh, or the recreational use of anything that's actually shamanic because... I mean, that's honestly just insulting So, to the people who've you know spent 10,000 years working with these uh, relationships and stuff. But if you're going to go and do that stuff, irrespective of their origins and their traditions, well, that's on you, honestly, and I'm not going to judge. I'm just going to say it's, you know, from a traditional point of view, not that respect- respectful of those, those practices. Actually, I'm reminded of watching some kids drink ayahuasca on a YouTube video in the middle of the afternoon while they're eating pizza and guzzling some kind of I don't know, Pepsi or Coke or something like that. And it went terribly. Wow. Okay, so I have an awareness of what <laughs> ayahuasca is. Yeah. Uh, let me see if I can paraphrase something here. And then um, I invite you to correct me. So ayahuasca, as I know it, is uh, plant medicine, native plant medicine that comes from South America. Um, it's uh, it's the way it's concocted or brewed or whatever. It's a couple of different plants that are sort of boiled together. Um, and I know it's a huge purgative meaning whatever you, whenever you ingest that, a whole lot of stuff is going to come out of you, maybe even at, at both ends. Um, and that's just uh, what I've heard people uh, talking about it. I've had conversations with other friends who've done ayahuasca in, um, I guess, in an attempt to sort of clean up their act uh, for different, different reasons. So uh, do you have a more detailed explanation as to what ayahuasca is? Well, we could get into the various plant species, but there's actually very, very many different kinds of ayahuasca. Okay, and I mean, so let, let's just let me just say say this that so what I what I just explained about whatever plant medicine is and having a bunch of teenage kids drinking pop and eating pizza is kind of like uh, I don't know um, having a beach party in a church. It's just like <laughs> the wrong place at the wrong time. Uh, yeah, definitely. So, yeah, as you said, ayahuasca is made primarily of two plants. One is a vine, one is a leaf. Um, I don't think I need to get into the botanical names for everybody. You can look it up. Uh, depending on what, what else is mixed into that medicine while it's being boiled down, uh, and honestly, uh, and I can say this from personal experience, it also depends on the people mixing the medicine, whether or not certain songs are sung over the medicine, all kinds of other stuff. So there's obviously a big tradition around that. Um, but when it comes to just the broad umbrella, you know, of things we would call consciousness expanding substances or plant teachers, uh, medicine plant teachers, uh, there's a lot out there. And I would say the menu of what's available, um, and I mean that, I think a bit tongue in cheek, but, um, it's expanding probably, uh, by one new plant medicine teacher a year hmm. that's become, uh, that's become available in the, you know, the, your large city in the Western world. Right. You know, so there's lots out there, so I can't go through then an entire, you know, list of all that stuff. Uh, although I, 
investigate every one of them I, I can because I'm profoundly curious about what consciousness uh, can do with itself. Hmm. And and so when we uh, sort of sat down today, I mean, you were talking about uh, plant medicine of a, of a sort, not necessarily ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I wasn't really clear if you actually wanted to go through sort of a recipe list of, oh, you can try this drug or you can try this plant medicine or this. Is that what you wanted to do today mostly? Well, or and I thought it'd be interesting to just speak about what people experience Sure. And what those experiences often are, and obviously each, we could probably do a podcast on each of these medicines because, I mean, they're, each of them in a way is almost like a religious tradition or a, mm-hmm. an entire culture. So uh, there's lots to it, but uh, I think I'll just parrot uh, Terence McKenna and say that uh, dissolving boundaries is the biggest um, bang for your buck in the world, you know, in the sense of if you get that through classic tibetan buddhist practice you know or through indigenous shamanic practice without medicine plants or directly um up to your gills in something like ayahuasca changing just fundamentally and profoundly how it is that you experience you and what it is that you actually can sense or feel or allow or have the patience and compassion for in other people because once you've had i think your face rubbed up in the difference between what i would so that's kind of what i'm speaking to and i'm speaking about the the metaphor or the analogy of the puppet in the hand is that um, there's a part of me that I know very much is conditioned by my life and there's a part of me that goes out of my way through meditation and ceremony and stuff to get clearer with how to relate to that view of me or that version of me Um, and I'm getting I'm turning 50 soon so I guess I'm getting to a place where maybe I have uh, developed more patience or well, honestly, I think it's that I'm willing to risk more of myself to find out what it is myself really has the potential to be, not in some Tony Robbins sense of, you know, maximizing my potential to make money or to be famous or whatever, but just to be, uh, you know, as this component of existence, I'm just really curious about what happened if I actually got a chance to be, you know, the most present and authentic and patient and kind and compassionate version of consciousness you know for my own well-being but also because i think i'm starting to get it anthony after 20 years of sitting in a room with sick people this is a kind of a hard job like you don't you have to find ways to to really i mean you're either going to start wearing lab coats and putting clipboards between you and people to like keep all the weirdness away from you or you're going to just decide that you know Maybe I don't really need to worry about the puppet so much. I'm just going to focus on the hand, speaking to the hand with this person who's got a pretty sick puppet. Hmm. You know, and, and to be able to, I guess, predict that would be the, if I get into another relation canoe, hint, hint, uh, that's one of our little podcast things, uh, or another relationship, I don't think I want to do that until I'm really clear on me. And I'm getting to a place in my life right now with respect to, say, PTSD, with respect to chronic complex diseases that I happen to carry around inside my puppet. Uh, I want to go farther with this. I mean, I'm I'm pretty successful with respect to if I eat good food, take care of my gut, and my life is good. Yeah, that's my puppet's life, though. Hmm. You know, I'm pretty happy that my puppet's not nearly as sick as it was when I was in the hospital dying, obviously, but... And I'm not trying to separate myself from my puppet in some weird way or my body in some weird way. It's just that today's conversation is so much about what's going on before and beyond and outside of the usual stuff that anyone has a conversation about. I'm really just trying to give everyone permission to say, 
let's just decide for today's conversation that there's a part of us that has a completely different agenda than make money, have sex, have a nice house. Mm-hmm. I don't know, whatever people seem to think is really important out there. <laughs> those for some reason pop into my head. So I guess yeah. they're on the list. Well, uh, those are... Those are popular ones. Yeah, I can say yeah. that. They would be on your list. <laughs> Nothing it, against that list, though, by the way. <laughs> um, the the vision that comes into my mind when you talk about uh, um, taking care of the body or being capable of taking care of the body, and um, then there's what uh, you, the hand, using your your uh, your words for the day. Um, I remember uh, living in Vancouver and walking by a construction site and seeing... Uh, the biggest, shiniest um, excavator that I'd ever seen, brand new, like it must have just dropped off of a boat and landed right into this construction site. And the guy driving the thing looked like he was 100 years old. He was like the most senior guy on the job, and he was just sitting there, and um, he looked like a, a whizzled, rotten, leather old boot uh, sitting behind the wheel of this thing, um, uh, driving it. And at some point... Um, uh, you know, I'm watching this for a little while, go on, and at some point, uh, construction, whatever he was doing with the excavator stops, and he opens the door, and he, ah, and he spits, and it launches out past the thing, and it misses the new toy that he's driving around completely, and then he closes the door, and then he carries on, and he does what he's doing. Um, that kind of reminds me of what you're talking about, about how people would take care of their body in such a way, yet the thing driving the body around the hand to use your word is this kind of like um thing that's kind of not the healthiest in some way and so 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 i guess i that's what i'm hearing you say is that you're actually looking at at, uh improving the the driver (laughs) the the hand the thing that actually moves you through the world i'm not sure that's possible so i'll say that say this another way um in traditional meditation uh culture at least from where i've been raised up in the taoist tradition a very common question that you ask is, who is the one meditating? Right. So uh, we could call it consciousness. You call it God. I like to call it Fred because I think if I'm going to hang out with whoever's in charge of the universe, we should be on first name basis. You know, it's team, team effort. You know, go Fred. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not I'm not convinced there's a literal personality running the show, but if I bump into that and it turns out to be true, that'd be really interesting to, to find out. But... As yet, I haven't had any experience that confirms that, although there's a lot of religions that frame it that way. Mm-hmm. But they're all coming from languages that are obsessed with the noun side of the world. So I just think it's a function of consciousness and language that predisposes us to see the world the way that our language can only see the world. I mean, I, it saddens me when I meet people that only speak one language. It's English. Mm-hmm. And then it's not that I think English is bad. It's just that it's like, you know, you go to music school and you're given a recorder. And if you remember a recorder, it's the thing that all children have to blow into. It's like the least functional version of a flute. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, when it comes to the ability of our consciousness to produce music, it'd sure be cool to play a lot of different instruments. If you only have one instrument, you can only really, you know, use that one way of uh, interacting with the world as consciousness. Well, so think, more, na- more languages, at least if you're going to use language as a vehicle to interact with consciousness, at least you have a know, better band. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, language is, is, is culture, right? I mean, if, uh, if I think of English, you know, think of somebody from uh, the East Coast uh, versus somebody from uh, the West Coast in either country or either, I guess, uh, 
either in the States or in Canada or Mexico, anywhere in North America or South America, I'm sure it's totally different on one side of the country to the other. Um, and um, people on the East Coast don't surf, <laughs> but people on the West Coast do. I mean, and they speak a language that sort of represents that gnarly dude or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, it's, that, 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 that sort of... Um, Anyways, I'm just going off on a tangent to say that I agree with you that uh, knowing one language is very limiting because it doesn't allow you to be able to see how um, other people interact with the world and how other people live. Yeah, so uh, I'm a bit of a language snob, so I quite like languages. They're interesting to me. Uh, and so is deep meditation practice, and so is the use of things like ayahuasca. Um, you know, just because it just seems to me that, you know, some of us are inevitably curious people like we're just going to go out there and and you know even at the potential risk of ourselves uh leap you know and others are not so curious and they would rather focus on on other parts of their lives and i'm not saying one's better than the other i'm just aware that i've kind of been asking myself recently well if i'm really curious what's the next thing that i can um play with or uh, develop a deep relationship with that's gonna you know continue my evolution or um journey here in in a way that's as interesting and as real as i can you know experience because anything else honestly for me and i'm just speaking in this moment just about me so if you're hearing this in any way as a projected opinion of you that's not my intention inside of me i just want to be at peace i want to be present i don't want to have anxiety about whether or not i can uh, I just don't have anxiety about anything and hmm. not, not that I'm a profoundly anxious person. I just realize in moments when I am feeling conflict or impatience or anxiety or something, that's my choice. And when I can stay more aware of what we call who is the one meditating, um, I'm just much, much more patient with everyone, including me. Mm-hmm. So there's a part of me that's just become very, very curious that I wonder what else would happen, uh, if I really made that invitation clear. And uh, the attempts that you've made to become more, uh, I don't know, more aware of you, more aware of the hand, more aware of the one meditating, that sort of thing, um, this isn't new for you. I mean, you've been talking about plant medicines and that sort of thing for the time that I've known you. We've never talked about it on podcast or whatever. Uh, we've mentioned ayahuasca here, but I'm, there's, a, there's a list. Do you feel like... Uh, Pulling out your rap sheet and letting people know. Or sure. <laughs> rap sheet. <Ooh. laughs> and, and, and I only say that because um, in North America, I have a, as I understand it, you tell me if I'm wrong, uh, things like ayahuasca aren't the kind of thing you're going to get at your Walgreens or PharmaSave or anything like that. You're not just going to walk in and buy that drug off the shelf. Um, it's something that's actually a little bit more complicated than that, right? Uh, well, it's a class one hallucinogen. So the only way it gets anywhere outside of the Amazon jungle is because people are muling it. <laughs> and then that, that'd be a fun podcast to talk to, just to talk about all the different tricky ways people get plant medicines from <laughs> the Amazon to the rest of the world. But so for my experience, I think is typical on one hand, because I went through high school and, you know, did what people do in high school. And, um, interestingly about 17 years old, I stopped doing anything in a sense of parties, alcohol, uh, cannabis, anything like that. Cause I was at that point studying to be a Taoist priest and the primary teacher I had when I began that at 17 was he's a vegetarian. He was very picky about, you know, substance use and stuff like that. And, uh, I had begun an initiation. So 
with respect to meditation. And for me, meditation is kind of like uh, plant medicine light or plant medicine without the plant. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was, I think, nine or ten months, uh, probably nine, uh, where we got together every night. So imagine yourself, typical 17-year-old teenager who's now committed to going to a meditation hall every night for nine months, no matter what, for an hour, 10 p.m., every night. Wow. Did not miss a day. Wow. Changed everything. You know, and that was just meditation. So I shouldn't say just. I mean, meditations should have capital M's that or special capital M's or something that say, ooh, this is a really important one. Um, so that was about 10 years, give or take, of being a pretty pure you know, person in the sense of what we would typically think of as lifestyle and and stuff. And then I kind of came actually to this little town, Nelson, BC, to start a Chinese medicine school. And um, yeah, so stress, busy, <laughs> a lot of other stuff, which uh, kind of moved me in the direction of ending up with Crohn's and colitis and all that. And uh, forced me quite fortunately in the long term to learn lots more about medicine and healing and nutrition and got me into functional medicine. So I'm grateful for that as, you know, uh, it's given me a lot of guidance and mm-hmm. put some interesting limits in my life that I've had to adapt to, which uh, also grateful for that as, as a lesson. But it was probably around 15 years ago uh, after my son was born and uh, got divorced because my son's mother and I had suddenly come to realize we had very different ideas about raising children. And a couple of years after my son was born, and this is going to get a bit personal and intimate, so if just FYI. <laughs> uh, probably during the first year of my son's life, I kept having these really terrifying images of having him in my hands and then throwing him against a wall. Wow. And uh, so uh, that was very terrifying for me. And it was very hard for me to hold on to my son for more than 15, 20 minutes without actually feeling like physically pent up and really, really weird, which was also a big stress on our relationship because... I was like, I got to find myself out of this room. I got to go home and take care of some whatever BS I was coming up with to deal with the fact I was choosing not to go deeper into what was wrong or what was coming up. I was just, I want to see, I think I was just flailing. So I went to see a friend of mine who's a psychotherapist and we talked and he sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Oh, you probably had some really bad stuff happen to you as a kid. You don't remember. And I was like, oh, well, I, I remember some really bad stuff. And he's like, you know, patting me on the head, not literally, but kind of like, it's okay. It's just going to take you a while to find the wherewithal and the inner resources to actually live with whatever memories are going to come up. And I was like, okay, that sounds like anxiety, you know, 101. Sit and wait to see how horrible your past turns out to be. Sit, sit and wait for the rest of your life. Yeah. So I, maybe as a martial artist, I just decided to attack the situation instead of wait to see how bad it was going to be. Went to, uh, went to have a traditional, um, interaction with an elder, which I don't think I need to get into what that looks like. Um, but I was asking basically him, you know, is there a way I can get into some practices, some other, uh, you know, ways of being in the world that would get me into that, you know, scope of experience or memories or whatever. And he said, well, you know, okay, I'll just, you know, bring you up to the sweat lodge and we'll start learning about pipe ceremonies and, uh, so yeah, for probably the last 15 years, it's been a kind of all day, every day thing of a return to uh, the traditions of the Aboriginal part of my family, as well as traditions of people from different uh, cultures and stuff. 
And a lot of that has included the use of things like uh, psilocybin or magic mushrooms in a very traditional way um, that that plant medicine is used in a really unique way in parts of Mexico and other parts of the world. Uh, peyote, which is a really, really interesting uh, plant teacher, um, kind of funny and edgy, but, you know, leaves you, I don't know, what's the word? Yeah, there's no way to not get the message because hmm. it's so crushingly symbolically clear <laughs> you're like okay thank you um yopo that's uh when they blow up your nose it's a pretty intense experience and yeah i could talk about a couple of really crazy experiences i had there um which actually might be a really good idea um so i was uh yeah this could go on for a long time i'm gonna try and bring it down to like the point <laughs> <laughs> Um, so the thing I, yeah, without telling the whole story, the thing that I learned the most from Yopo, um, while I was literally in my bare feet in the snow up against the side of a hill, throwing myself head first into the side of the hill to realize that I needed to be more vulnerable. Cause as a, I was for most of my life, I've been that invincible, scary fighter guy. And that wasn't my, that wasn't my particular PR. That's just how people kind of thought of me because of what I did with most of my time. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that was a big part of my puppet, a big part of the way that I bumped into the world consciously or not. And for whatever reason, when I was in, in that Yopo ceremony, and you're usually supposed to sit on a bench, it was kind of funny. I basically told the guys I was going to go outside now and there was no way they were going to physically stop me because I was the bad guy or the tough guy or whatever. But anyway, I walked off into the forest and there was a guy who followed me around to you know, trying to take care of me. I'm throwing myself up against the side of this hill, which didn't really make him very comfortable because I was basically his responsibility. <laughs> but I just told him that I wasn't, I wasn't hurting myself. I was working something out and he just needed to back off. And uh, so I had that experience. And then this is a bit weird, but this dog came around the corner of, well, there's probably no corners in a forest, but it came around into view. And for whatever reason, I decided to fight it, but playfully. So me and this dog, and this was a pretty big dog, are going at it like, like I, I mean, the next day I was covered and it looked like I got attacked by a, know, a pack of wolves or something, but we were playing. It was just the way dogs play when they're being edgy or whatever. And of course, the poor guy was standing there watching me, trying to protect me from myself, was just losing himself. But I wanted to figure out what was going on. I was just being instinctual. And the weird thing that happened was after I was fighting with this dog for probably all of 30 seconds, which, you know, it's like slow motion action movie stuff, a lot can go on. It ended by me lying on my back and pulling my shirt up so that the, the dog could bite my stomach because I've been raising, I don't know, wolf hybrid dogs as a kid. And that's how those kind of animals actually present a kind of submission. So I thought, okay, fight's over. I don't want to do this thing. So the dog nipped at my stomach, but then it came up and it growled right in my face and it bit my neck. Hmm. And I was just like, I mean, it didn't like bite and shake and freak out. It bit my neck and was staring right, right at me at the same time. I'm staring into the face of the dog as its teeth are on my jugular. I'm like, ah. <laughs> um, and in that moment, I think I experienced one of the most profoundly ecstatic states I've ever experienced, which was literally the conscious decision that if this being needs my body to uh to feed itself to nurture itself and to continue itself i'm willing to make that sacrifice hmm. wow which is my typical response to vegetarians <laughs> <laughs> 
which is nothing against. I mean, if you if you can be a vegetarian and be healthy, oh, thank God, bless you. I mean, you're saving the planet, but not everyone can pull that off. And uh, anyway, so I had that experience, which was for me very profound because of the hill smashing vulnerable thing. I needed to not walk around with my uh, subjective or personal expectation of being invulnerable or tough or violent. And more importantly, to try and just find other ways to interact with people because so many people who knew me were just like, oh yeah, you're that guy who does medicine, but you're like this guy who used to teach the army to kill. So, uh, and I'm like, no, not really, but that's your PR. So it was almost as if that experience was just a, a giant, um, not giant, uh, was a really clear opportunity for you to see yourself uh, in, you know, a giant mirror, I guess is what I was going to say. Absolutely. Um, and that was with uh, Yopo. Yep. Uh, so again, it's about dissolving boundaries, but I think that was the first time I actually realized, uh, like, it's more like, I don't know if that's the wrong word, it's not realized, but um, it's when I became the most aware of that um, really, really partnering with these medicines and really understanding their nature and really using them to go as deeply as you can, um, is the, it's the fastest way to really figure out who you are, but also what your biggest impositions or boundaries or your particular, I mean, honestly, I think we're all full of crap when mm -hmm. it comes to trying to be socially, um, calibrated that's my son's word i love when you're a 16 year old kid because you're like i'm pretty comfortable with my social calibration i'm like wow <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even know what that meant until i was probably 35 <laughs> um a little bit more evolved than you are i guess yeah well <laughs> a little less traumatized too anyway um so i just you know went went for it and um say with ayahuasca uh i mean if you're listening to this and you're a person who's never had these experiences, just please take a moment and put that on a little napkin and, and read the napkin every five minutes for the next 20 minutes or whatever we're going to keep talking for. Because if you've never had this experience, you can have an opinion. But I could have opinions about certain things. You can have opinions. We can all have opinions. But opinions are something we can argue, argue about. Like if you think this ball team should win and I think that ball team should win and we're wearing different caps and stuff and we're drinking beer, it's probably going to go badly, <laughs> you know, but once you have an experience, it's not something you can argue with because it's not about opinion anymore. Right. So if you're hearing this and it freaks you out a little bit and you've never had this experience, I'm not sharing with you an opinion. I'm sharing with you just an experience. So please just have an experience of the experience, not an opinion of it. Hmm. Because I mean, this stuff gets really charged up for people, and I'm going to start saying some stuff that's going to break the rules of physics. So, lay it on me. <laughs> just showing a little preface there. This is an experience I may or may not be clinically insane. Pretty sure I'm not. <laughs> yeah. well, you know, and, and I think it's it's really important for um, uh, the listener to to understand that this is all something that's um, related to health, right? Yeah. I mean, you're you're not just talking about. Um, shooting up in an alley and, uh, you know, robbing a bank just because, uh, you're talking about really deep, introspective, uh, personal work on the you that's driving the you around. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying this honestly as a patient, I'm not saying this as a doctor prescribing medications. I'm saying this as a human being that without these experiences, I probably would be on two or three pharmaceuticals. Hmm. Wow. Because I have PTSD, which means if I have a bad day, I don't sleep sometimes for days. Right. So, and I mean, I do all my diet and I take my herbs and I get my acupuncture, but 
apparently the universe wanted me to go farther. So I did. Hmm. Anyway, so as an example, say with ayahuasca, one of the first most powerful things, and I'm always nervous to say this so loud, especially in English, um, but I was shown how to do a very specific kind of healing by my grandmother, who is Dene or Navajo. Um, she passed off, she passed on that thing when I was 13 or 14 years old. And I was in a ceremony with a friend of mine and, and a really good mentor and teacher in my life who's a Vietnam War vet. And during that ceremony, I actually pulled some bullets out of his body. For real. Well, in the ceremony, there was bullets in my hand and there was a story to go along with the bullets and it made a big difference for him. And I learned how to do what we call which is the version of what we call badger medicine. Wow. And, um, so this was your experience of that, uh, yeah. But was it his as well? Did he have the feeling of like, oh, wow, hey. that uh... We had a conversation about it and he experienced it differently. But right. he, we both experienced this weird interaction where something had to shift between us. And uh, that's how I experienced it. And ever since then, I've had the permission and the ability to do these ceremonies where, um, and it's not something I do as like a job. So please don't call me asking me to come to your house and do a ceremony. <laughs> Uh, but if uh, tr in traditional like First Nations community settings or ceremonial groups, if I'm asked to do something in a ceremony, then I will. Mm -hmm. And it involves singing some very, very intense songs while you pull things like cancer out of people. But wow. it's not literally the thing where you pretend to pull stuff out with chicken gizzards and kitchen towels and all the other goofy stuff that people pull off. It's something that happens in a realm that I would call the non-literal realm. Right. You know, because... Uh, it isn't about it being literally true. It's about having an experience that changes who you are or what's uh, still on your menu of things you have to work out. Uh, another experience I had with ayahuasca, which would probably take a long time to tell the whole story, but uh, it's a really great story though. But it showed me uh, in, a, in a really, really powerful way how important belonging is. And uh, it's the biggest I think honestly, it's the biggest trauma for most human beings now because we just keep finding more and more reasons to be separate. Uh, to be isolated alone. Yeah. And yeah. we connect now through Facebook and, you know. Well, I was just going to say the word social media is um, kind of crazy because there's nothing social about social media. Yeah. And there's more <laughs> advertising in, in, in now than I think it's it's ever, uh, it's original intention ever was. Right. You well, know, so nowadays it, it is even social media. It's, it's like standing in a lineup next to a, a bunch of people with uh, advertisement. You know, we all stand there waiting to see what's going to happen. And, oh, yeah, we get to consume more media advertising. Great. Yeah. Anyway, so, I mean, lots of experience with that. Lots of experience with um, going into deep states without the use of, um, you know, plant medicines or anything like that, uh, which is something I would call applied meditation, which is a bit distinct from your sort of classical mindfulness version of meditation because... Uh, and I, although I would say for anyone who's curious about meditation, always start with the mindfulness practice. It's got nothing to do with religion. It's got nothing to do with uh, shamanism. It's got nothing to do with anything except learning what attention is. Hmm. And if you're not really aware of how attention works, that would be a good place to start. But once you have a real good sense of how attention works and how intention and attention are kind of the same moment, it's kind of like a masculine feminine thing. One is more receptive. One is more... Uh, I don't know, responsive in a, in a way. And it's not about men and women. It's just about trying to make different natures clear. 
When you get into an applied meditation practice, you're not sitting and waiting with attention to see what arises that you can be kind about. It's kind of more like uh, weeding your garden, Hmm. you know, or doing a Kung Fu class um, or engaging in um, like a ceremonial practice, you know, with or without the use of plant medicines. Because when you apply consciousness to a specific um, concern or dilemma in life, you're applying it. You're not waiting to see. So there's a lot of different practices that allow us to get really, really good at awareness of what I call state shift. Now, obviously, with plant medicines that are severely in like the top hallucinogens on the planet, I mean, you basically just want a seatbelt and, you know, uh, an ambulance down the road just in case, you know. Um, whereas with, uh, say, going to a Sundance or going to other things where you're fasting, you're praying, you're, you know, taking your body to its limits in, in some ways in the sense of, well, dancing in the sun all day for four days straight. No food, no water, going into sweat lodges at least once a day, dropping three, four pounds a day of water. I mean, you're going to be hallucinating like a mad person by day three or four because <laughs> yeah. you've, you've put yourself into a profound uh, ecstatic state, you know, through, through trial, you know, and those things have been done by every culture in the world, hmm. you know, so it isn't just about doing some cool drugs, man. It's about understanding how we can shift state. And then when you can actively and consistently shift your state, your awareness of life is the opposite of passive. Your awareness of what can or can't happen or should or shouldn't happen or whatever in relationship, in family, in work, uh, what you do or don't do with money, you know, what you do or don't do with the weird side of the internet. Because now you're no longer just a passive consumer of whatever you generate as thought. You're the person, you know, you're the conductor of your particular orchestra. And now it's up to you to create beauty. Wow. And I mean, that's the Aboriginal way is grow up, make connections, create beauty. And I mean, honestly, I think this, this podcast has been hijacked a little bit from what I planned yesterday because yesterday was Canada day. And as a person who's, you know, Aboriginal enough to make that claim, we actually call that colonization day because it just reminds us that, oh yeah, these people came in here with their needs and their desires and dreams and treated the people that were here first really, really badly. Uh, way back then, and uh, and still at a few points along the way, still. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're. I think it would be an interesting thing, uh, someday, which I'll probably do someday, because uh, of my interest in languages. I've developed a. I used to work with the government a bit uh, on Aboriginal stuff, and we developed a program to try and rescue languages using what's called sign talk or hand talk. So I created a bunch of little little prayers and stories for kids using sign language. And the idea was to go to different reservations and speak to different elders and have them tell that story or say that thing in their language as they did the sign talk so that people, especially children, could watch a video of an elder talking with someone in another frame doing the sign talk because kids learn gesture language faster than they learn regular language. Um, If you're pairing, you know, trying to teach uh, some old language to some kids that, you know, could have inherited that language in another universe or something. At least it was a way to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so that's just one of those things I wanted to do. So someday I probably will go up into the other, you know, the more northern reserves in Canada to see if we can, you know, create some some record of these languages and, and stuff because I mean, a language is a universe for me. But I think if I did that, I would take a video camera along and just film what it's like to live on a reserve in northern Canada because eek. Yeah, I can imagine it would be very uh, different than how uh, 
uh, most North Americans, you know, wake up, reach for their iPhone, <laughs> get up, go have breakfast, get yeah. in their car, go to work, that sort of thing. I remember in, uh, I think it was the late 1980s, I was working on a reserve in Northern Ontario. Um, and it was a very well-off reserve. They'd made a good deal to, you know, if there was going to be any logging done on their reservation land, then half the logs were kept by the band and the rest were sold to the logging company. So everyone had a nice log house. <laughs> hmm. So it just, they turned out to, to do well as a community because they all had, they were all busy working at building log houses together. Right. Whereas the reserve across the lake, um, they had satellite TV and the kids were killing each other with broken beer bottles after huffing glue dressed up as either the Bloods or the Crips from the 1980, you know, gang movies that they were getting on satellite TV. Wow. So, and I don't want to go too far afield of that because this isn't a political podcast anyway, but... I think if you can appreciate the difference in quality of life and quality of consciousness and what we honor in each other as human beings, I mean, these people have been shoved off into some of the least usable lands in this country, like you'd shove dust underneath of a carpet, and they've been left there for hundreds of years to deal. Right. Anyway, so again, try not to think about that politically. Look at that if you can. Um as the quality of consciousness that we actually honor in the world for each other. Because this conversation really is just about, are you aware as a conscious being that your consciousness is way, way more vast and potent and powerful and resilient at helping you in the world if you try and go deeper into that relationship? But, you know, and it seems to me as, as a conscious human being, more or less, that until we as a species can care for each other consistently and stop trying to shoot each other over whose name of God makes the most sense. Um, yeah, it's just embarrassing. It's a little, um, uh, difficult sometimes to, um, for me, uh, live in the world when I see how different cultures, um, uh, interact and I'm using interact in the most polite, uh, sense of the word. Um, you know, you can swap that out for, kill, maim, shoot, <laughs> judge, blow up, rape. judge. Yeah. <laughs> All those kinds of, it, it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's really weird. And, and, and so, the, so let me, let me see if I can tie this back into the whole idea of these, the, the psychotropic drugs. Um, would you, would you say that, um, cultures that actually have more, uh, capacity to, to do those sorts of things, uh, or to understand how they're used, um, uh, care more for each other? They seem to be way, way more patient and concerned about connection and care. Hmm. And where where would I see that in the world? Communities of people who take care of each other. But I mean, specifically, if um, if, if 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 that's the result of, of taking these uh, these plant medicines, um, does it, are there cultures like that in South America where the plant medicines are readily readily available and they're not considered hardcore drugs? Oh uh, well, they're not hardcore drugs; they're plants, but. Um, yeah, there's many communities and tribes in, in specifically in Peru, um, up in the sacred valley down in the jungle. Um, but they're also basically in the process of what Canada was doing a hundred years ago. Hmm. So, I mean, you can have these happy little bush Indians in the Amazon drinking their tea and singing their songs, but they're living in the context of, you know, maybe a thousands of years of a certain kind of tribal warfare because, you know, uh, conflict over resources is a pretty human thing. But now these people are dealing with, and I'm going back to the image of your, you know, old leathery dude in the excavator. I mean, they have really no way to frame, you know, I mean, it's honestly, it's just, you just have to 
step back for a moment and recognize that every indigenous people that's ever had to deal with colonizing industrial uh, cultures have had the experience of being invaded by an alien race that has superior technology and doesn't give a shit about you at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So although there's places that I would say in Africa, in uh, South America that are still pretty uh, old school, the old school is in the context of, you know, the tribe next to you has guns and cell phones and it's up to you to, you know, get on board. So yeah, that's not a really easy thing for me to talk about because it's not about the potential use of plant medicines for modern people who listen to podcasts to maybe heal deeper issues. Uh, that, that's more about, you know, me trying not to cry about a really, really horrible glitch in our species. Right. You know, yeah. I'm not pointing my finger at anybody. I mean, I'm just like, wow, we are such, you know, impatient and insanely, you know, Petty, petty, selfish, weird. But then you get, you know, through life and maybe you give one to meditation and you decide to um, change what you rely on inside of yourself as to, you know, your, your sense of confirmation bias or guidance or whatever. I mean, I think that's the only really chance our species has, with, you know, within the next century. If we don't actually grow up to a place where... Um, we can have a common wealth society across the face of the planet. We're just going to grind each other on the planet into a garbage heap, which we're pretty getting, we're getting pretty close. Yeah. It sure seems like that some days. Yeah. And that's, that's again, why I wanted to bring up this podcast about mindfulness, you know, and about mindlessness because mindfulness is a, a commitment to understanding how attention and consciousness and all of that works. And mindlessness is realizing, I think uh, on a humorous tongue in cheek level that you have to get out of your own way. And if all you can rely on is your resume or your ego for how to interact with the world, take a moment and recognize that. I mean, you're walking around with like a little ID card, you know, look at this. I love the word identity because it's an entity with an ID. <laughs> you want to elaborate on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was a bit quick, but so we have ID, like your driver's license, it's yeah. got your picture on it. We all know what, show me your ID. So if you take the word entity and add ID in front of it, you get an identity. Sorry, that's goofy, <laughs> but it, I think it's actually kind of cool. It's like, yeah, do you really need ID to get through life? I mean, hmm. I don't think so. Hmm. You know, so again, with the opportunity with plant medicines, the opportunity with going into meditation with a direction and, with, and, and purpose and uh, the determination to get a result, that's that's what I've found in my life the most consistent and um, the ones I'd be the most likely to share with people. And uh, I think the other reason uh, this podcast is being talked about today is that uh, Monday, Tuesday, three or four days from now, I'm going to be going on my first Iboga ceremony. And Iboga is yet again another wonderful plant medicine. It's the one that scares the bejesus out of everybody. Including you. Oh boy. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah I, got, I, I got like four days and people die taking this stuff. So it's, I mean, wow. I had to get an EKG done, ECG as they call it now, uh, got a bunch of blood tests to make sure that I'm in a more survivable probability ratio. <laughs> yeah. Well, people die crossing the street too. So well, yeah, it's statistically probably safer than, you know, well, crossing a street or hopefully flying a plane. But <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm very, very excited, scared. And that's my favorite word for no hallucinogens. <laughs> Uh, just to see what 
that experience will be like in, in my world. Uh, I mentioned on a couple of podcasts ago that a friend of mine was in Costa Rica doing an iboga ceremony and completely changed her life. So, and we're kind of contemporaries in how we work in the world and have some similar kind of background. So I'm, you know, really excited to see honestly who comes back after that ceremony. Cause you're speaking of yourself. Um, I'm speaking of what cells can be. Right. But, but I mean, your experience of going there and coming back, not your friend who took it. Uh, no. Yeah. Right. So I mean, that was uh, a bit of humor is like, cause I mean, obviously if I don't come back, it's cause I die, but I'm curious as to what version of me comes back after having that experience. Cause with Iboga, unlike, um, I'm not, I don't know how many times I've taken ayahuasca, but she's only spoken to me twice. Hmm. Once at the very beginning of my use of that medicine and then the last time I used it where she told me to do something very specific that I've been working on for three and a half years since the last time I was in that ceremony. Um, but with Iboga, you get about a 10-hour conversation with the most conscious version of you. Wow. And um, is there an opportunity for you to, um, I don't know, record it? Or, I mean, are you lucid enough that you can actually... Nope. But... You're, you're, you're lying on a mattress drooling and um 10 hours uh, 10 and a half hours later do you sort of get up and sort of say i remember what just happened uh, uh a lot of people do yeah but you're actually usually kind of flat on the floor for about 30 hours right okay so i, I guess what i'm asking is the mechanics behind this if, yeah. if, if, if somebody was going to do this um you know uh knowing your intention going into it um and coming out of it is it uh is it graceful? Is it pretty? Is it the kind of thing where you are left with a space in your brain for new ideas to form? Or is it something where you have recollection of what went on during the trip? Like, like how does that actually, do you even know how it works? I'm just going to say yes to all of that because all of that happens. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, specifically with Iboga, it's very, very medical. It's done as an actual medical treatment. And in Canada still, it's legal. Uh, I think in the U.S. just last year, they decided it was illegal. Or maybe that was something else. No, Ibogaine is illegal in the States, too. Everything's illegal in the States. <laughs> um, Canadians are illegal in the States. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, but yeah, with, with Iboga, it's done as an actual um, chemically derived and uh, tested uh, group of alkaloids from a plant, a shrub, a little tree from Africa. Uh, a lot of the best... Um, treatment opportunities are people who use a combination of uh, iboga hydrochloride, which is, or ibogaine hypochloride, uh, which is an alkaloid you can isolate and produce and, and uh, extract basically in a, in a lab, right? And then they take a lot of the other alkaloids from the root bark, and I think it's like an 80-20 split, so 80% of it is the ibogaine hydrochloride and 20% is the other alkaloids in the plant. It's done that way because uh, a lot of people who take the really pure extract from the plant uh, bark uh, have a much harder time with nausea with purging with uh, kind of neurological weird symptoms and stuff that are kind of a par for the course with this uh, so i'm grateful to know that the people i'm going to be working with they're licensed there there's an emt on site there's a registered nurse who's worked in the er on site um, so in the sense of the uh, anxiety part of things of what could go wrong <laughs> that's pretty much covered um but yeah the, what, what i've read is basically with ibogaine 
um, and what I've heard from people I've talked to is you just get physically very, very nauseous and then you can't really coordinate your limbs. So you just lie down and feel really crappy. And then eventually you forget how crappy you feel because you're basically having a conversation with, and I mean this, I guess, uh, to be a bit funny, but also because our conversations had some, you know, potential eye poking in it. I've heard it expressed that when you go into Ibogaine, you get to have a conversation with your version of God. Hmm. So just you and Fred. You and Fred, or you and you as Fred, or without all the... Uh, it's basically the puppet meets the puppet. Or sorry, the hand meets the hand. I don't know exactly how to put that, but... I mean, I haven't done it yet. I'll find out in a few days. <clears throat> wow. So, I mean, and my main purpose actually with that is to try and see if I can find, um, with that ally, a deeper way to kind of go underneath of... Uh, not only how PTSD operates in my life, but sort of how I compensate for, you know, not sleeping for days or whatever. So it's going to be the realest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And uh, do you find yourself, um, you know, going into this whole thing? Um, like, have, have you started your trip yet? <laughs> uh, it actually started almost two months ago. Hmm. So, uh, and I'll just share this with people because, wow. Well, why not? Because the microphone's on. <laughs> <Right there. laughs> uh, if you're interested in using ibogaine, its primary use in the West right now is for pretty hardcore chemical addictions like heroin, fentanyl, uh, opiates, or rather I should say other opiates and stuff. It's used for interruption, interruption for other addictions like alcohol, tobacco. It's used psychologically or clinically for uh, psychological things like PTSD. Um, so yeah, it's got lots of legs or statistics behind it as, as a therapy for that. So if you're thinking you'd want to get into something like that as a listener, um, the tradition, um, around all of these plant medicines goes the same way is you start making a request, uh, in your meditation practice or your prayer practice, if you have one for that, uh, plant uh, entity to come into your life in some way. So with ayahuasca, usually you just end up bumping into people in coffee shops and libraries and video stores or wherever you hang out and talk to people <laughs> uh, who just happen to know somebody who knows somebody who, um, you know, can hook you up with that. And it's it's a weird synchronicity thing with, with that. Uh, however, with iboga, what the practice is, is they tell you to start writing down questions that you want to ask this voice. Some people just call it the voice. <laughs> mm. And... Um, you start asking the the voice of Viboga to, you know, start, you know, responding to these things. So I started that process and the weirdest thing happened is as I was starting to frame questions and think about stuff um, in a, one of my practices that I do, it's a lying meditation. Uh, and I did not hear a voice in my head, although I woke up the next day with a really interesting question in, on my mind. And it was a question I would have never thought to ask myself. And I kind of dug into what that question was really about. And I was like, whoa, maybe this is, this sounds like kind of like, like the Iboga experience in the sense that you're given some really, really unique advice, but you're not told what to do. You're kind of led with inquiry in, in a certain direction. And that's what happened. And then it happened again about a month later. And it hasn't really been much to say since then, because now I'm committed to the actual ceremony, but you never know. It's still four more days. Mm -hmm. But uh, that's that practice, you know, with uh, Ibogaine, with, I think with peyote now, your primary access is going to be through the Native American church, unless you know people who are um, 
of a specific tribe around Oaxaca in Mexico, uh, who use that as a big part of their tradition. But, um, so we do this podcast because it's fun. We do this podcast because it's, um, informative for people. So I just want to make sure we wrap this up with some, I don't know. Well, I was going to ask you. This is about the listener. <laughs> yeah. Although I just blather on about me for an hour. But. Well, it, it, uh, talking about your experience of using this, I'm sure has got people curious um, uh, in their in their mind as to, you know, uh, is this right for me or where should I start or that sort of thing. So um, well, I would just say if you're thinking of asking, hey, Michael, uh, are you more or less sane after doing all this stuff that, you know, seems kind of insane? I'm definitely more sane. Hmm. I'm definitely way, way more invested in meditation as a practice. I'm way, way more invested in uh, conscious communication and basically just growing up, you know, like kind of curious what would happen. This seems like a very uh, advanced form of medicine uh, to to consider to take uh, any kind of plant medicine, that sort of thing. I've always thought that it would be a very uh, self-loving thing to do. Uh, as much as I've heard uh, mostly ayahuasca stories mm. and how um, gross the physical experience of it is, um, the the results, uh, another friend of mine, Mike, is somebody who's done ayahuasca both in uh, Peru and in Portugal, and he's done it two or three times. Um, and uh, there's a written sort of diary of who he was before he went to his first ayahuasca ceremony in a book by uh, Dr. Joe Tefer. I can't remember the name of the book. Um, and I, and I read that sort of chapter that's about him and I'm like, really, this is you, this seems like kind of like the Hollywood version of like, you know, guy down on his luck, uh, taking half of his paycheck and, you know, sniffing it up his nose with cocaine and like all these different kind of weird and wonderful and horrible things that he was doing to himself. Um, and then he has this experience on ayahuasca and it totally transforms him to the point where, um, I mean, I, I read the, the, the book and I, I really still highly can't believe, I doubt that that story is about him because he's a totally different person. He's like um, uh, the nicest, most generous guy that I know. Uh, and he doesn't wash up as being somebody who's an addict or in trouble with himself or how he sees the world at all. And it's just like, holy crap. Yeah. And that's, I guess, what I mean by growing up. Yeah, well, and I guess that's my point, you know, just going off on a tangent there, describing that situation, but it seems like uh, this kind of approach to medicine is, um, um, you know, eating clean, green, organic uh, meats and fruits and vegetables only goes so far. And we've we've had that kind of um, uh, aha moment in our podcast, usually about the hour mark and we're just over that now <laughs> where we're like oh yeah right food only feeds so much of the body only heals so much of what's actually going on there's a there's a soul a hand a fred a something in there that's actually driving things around right so that encouraged me that um well i just want to leave it open because you know every every podcast is like a tribe you know for whatever reason we all kind of get along and like the way it works i listen to i don't know how many podcasts and i love being a part of those tribes of people that all share that interest or that um, way of learning or being in the world. I'm really excited, uh, for all of the people who listen to the show who, you know, or, you know, I'm not sure if we would call each other friends, but we all seem to share this, you know, interest. Um, 
I guess what I'm thinking of saying is I have an idea for the next next podcast, but I kind of want permission from everyone who listens to the podcast to not hold me to that because I have no idea what's going to happen. So if I come back and decide I no longer want to do podcasts or decide I'm going to become a hermit or if I decide I want to do five podcasts, you know, all at once, I don't know. Uh, but what comes to mind right now as a really good idea for a follow-up to this conversation would be to have a podcast about what's called voice dialoguing. Okay. So voice dialoguing is a practice uh, basically where you give a name and a kind of consensual identity to the different parts of you, right? So usually, and I'm not going to get into this right now, but I'll just give people a couple of examples to get started. And you can use any frame of reference. I use all kinds of different, uh, from like the Chinese Zodiac animals to a medieval castle to a bunch of other stuff. But the first two I would ask people to suggest, you know, check this out, is think of the back of your brain, what we call your lizard brain. I call mine Larry, you know, that person has a very specific job. But if I interact with Larry very consciously, then all my instinctual drives, my impatience and other things, uh, affect my life very differently because I'm consciously dealing with the fact instinctually I'm kind of triggered to something. Uh, another one I call is, uh, I call her Mary the monkey. Um, and her job is basically to deal with all the social cues and social stresses and needs of our species. And she's a little bit of a, I don't know, Harlequin romance novel typing kind of girl. And she really, really likes gossip. And she's really worried about whether or not her peeps get her and who likes her and who doesn't. And, you know, we all have that faculty, right? You know, around being socially potent or awkward or whatever. But you can actually have a conversation with Mary and thank her for doing her best to make sure you're down with all your peeps. But uh, hey, I think I'll start employing this thing called conscious communication and make sure that I'm actually really clear with all of my peeps. And then Mary doesn't have a reason to start writing novels about how screwed up my life is. Mm -hmm. So I think that would be a fun thing to get into. I'm so sorry again, it's called voice? Voice dialoguing. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I've done this with, I don't know how many people in, since I learned it, and I can honestly say it's one of the best things ever. And if you're a person who finds sitting down and meditating boring or weird or stressful because sitting still sucks for you, and that's true for a lot of people, there's a lot of other kinds of meditation that, again, are applied meditations that are, require, move, require movement and intention and stuff. But if you just don't like the idea of meditation for whatever reason, <laughs> try voice dialoguing. It changes everything. But uh, getting back to wrapping up the plant medicine thing. If you're interested in that, uh, great. Put the request out on a subconscious or conscious level and see if you attract, you know, people who are aware of that, that opportunity or not. But if you are going to start and you want to effectively go out and look for something, and I'm not suggesting you go and buy this online and try it by yourself. I wouldn't say this is a good idea for any of these medicines at all. Uh, you want to do this with someone who's trained in the tradition and somebody who really knows what they're doing. But the best place to start is called Huachuma. Spell that. Hmm, I hate spelling. Huachuma. <laughs> H-U-A-C-H-U-M-A. I think I'm dyslexic. I, I, sure. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking... I'm trying to spell. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking the Google would know how to correct that if that's not exactly it. <laughs> yeah, um, it's also called the San Pedro Cactus. That was easier to spell. Well, yeah, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so when you take that, it's really weird thick green goo. It doesn't work as a hallucinogen the way like uh, magic mushrooms are in the sense that you're going to kind of lose it and freak out or LSD because a lot of people won't get into plant medicines because they're terrified of losing control, mm -hmm. which means you absolutely need to get into these medicines because you're so terrified of what you're going to do in the world that you've built up all these boundaries in yourself that you think are safe for you, but you know they're so self-limiting, it's terrifying. 
So with Huachuma, you don't get the big mind blast open thing. You just get kind of goofy and honest. Hmm. And usually it's done with, you know, a dozen people or so. The entire trip, I guess, is the word, uh, although it's not really a trip, uh, is about 10 hours. So you spend 10 hours during the day, usually in a circle with people where you share stories and prayers and songs and all that stuff from a traditional ceremonial point of view. And then you spend some time by yourself. And there's this weird kind of flow with Huachuma where the urge to gather and connect is balanced out by the urge to go off and do your own thing. Hmm. So for 10 hours, there's this sort of a weird pulse of people going away off and to do what they want to do. And then they, you know, everyone comes back. But you don't get so profoundly, uh, well, say chemically affected that you're losing control. You're just going to realize that you just can't lie to people anymore. <laughs> and you can't lie to yourself. And if you watch somebody else really try and push some egoic agenda, you can't stop yourself from making fun of them in a way. Not in a hurtful way, usually, but it's it's we often call that call that medicine the clown, because you have to have a sense of humor and you have to be willing to put up with everyone's, you know, sudden um, sudden authentic honesty about themselves and you. Mm-hmm. So it can go a lot of different ways, and I've had honestly a couple of experiences with that medicine that are just as profoundly life changing as the ones I've experienced with the you know the the big hallucinogens. Um, you know, and it doesn't, it doesn't work that way, but it's really safe, you know, and it's really friendly. And it's, if, if you're, again, you're nervous about, um, what will happen to you if you smash up against the windscreen of something like ayahuasca, that's a good idea. Don't, you don't want to crash into something like that. You want to get into the, you want to get into the practice of ceremony, you know, and that's something that I think most people, I don't even not even sure how most people frame the idea of going into an uh, like a an indigenous shamanic ceremony, but, but it's a practice. It's a practice like a sweat lodge is a practice, or a meditation is a practice. Well, I would think that this this conversation today has uh, opened up some uh, some eyes for um, the people who listen to it. Uh, certainly, the, the the person who's listening at the other end of this microphone is uh, questioning uh, more about who they are and how they. Uh, drive their shiny new tractor around, <laughs> drive their puppet, sock puppet, whatever, whatever kind of analogy it is. I mean, it's, um, uh, it's interesting to see that you have, uh, suggestions or ideas of where people can start and that sort of stuff. And I, th- I would prescribe if I can here, I'm going to put on the old lab coat for a second that if people are, uh, interested in doing something with this, that, um, uh, that's probably the, the medicine right there is like the, the, the initial inquiry as to like, Hey, wait a minute, there's something different that I could be looking at here for myself. Um, and then just sort of trusting and seeing where that goes. If it means having conversations about what you've heard today, um, or I don't know, Googling, uh, San Pedro cactus <laughs> or any of that sort of stuff, you know, it, it this is a, a real, um, sort of toe in the water. I'd say this mm-hmm. conversation, we could probably rattle or sorry, you could probably rattle on about this for a lot longer. I'm just sitting here listening, just drinking it all up. Yeah, so try Huachuma. I guess I'm saying that to you directly, Anthony. Give it a try. I mean, we have a group here that meets every month. Hmm. Um, There's one thing that I feel compelled to speak to very quickly before we turn off our microphones, and that just has to do with credibility. So there are people out there who may hear this who are probably folding their arms across their chest and crossing their legs and leaning back with the body language of, well, you're an idiot. Uh, And that's 
perfectly fine if you know you're listening to this going yeah well too bad michael smith turns out to be a drug addict or whatever because uh, that's how some people would frame this mm-hmm. you know whereas for me it's just i would rather go into deep inquiry with a group of people who have experience with those kind of uh opportunities because it isn't about getting messed up or high at all i mean when i talk to patients about medical cannabis it's like the last thing i say is and you might want to use this kind of thc during the day if you need to but everything else is let's avoid you getting unnecessarily inebriated in any way possible because getting messed up is not i think a really good motivation in life no and i think for a lot of people it just brings up a lot of stigma or ideas about that being um bad news yeah and then there's a whole idea of like you know what about the dose you know what if you overdose you know and this is again well if you're working in a practice that people have been doing for ten thousand years i'm pretty sure they figured out dose mm-hmm. you know because it's it's not about safety in the sense of fear but no one in, in the circles that i you know wander in uh, no one in those circles is interested in any kind of addiction anymore. Almost every one of us has dealt with addiction in the past. So why would we go into a ceremonial practice that looks like some kind of drug addiction? Because <laughs> it's not. I mean, you don't, nobody wants to do ayahuasca. It's not fun. That's why I brought up those kids on YouTube, you know, swing, swilling it back with, you know, you know, party favors or whatever, because, it, you know, it, they didn't have any fun because it's not a fun experience. You're puking and crapping and, you know, freaking out. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I, I've been in ceremonies where I've begged to die at how bad I felt hmm. until I got through that and then said, thank you for not taking that seriously because I didn't really want to die. But I was feeling pretty bad for a bit there. Yeah, this, is, uh, this, this isn't uh, about uh, recreational drugs at no. all. Yeah, so when it comes to the idea of credibility, I'm just asking you as a listener if you find me as some kind of mentor in the world knowing what i know please don't presume that um in any way the choices i make are dysfunctional Mm. you know and if you see them that way that's that's there's nothing i can do about that but um if you're on the fence about that these are the most functional things people could ever do when they get to the point when there's nothing else to do but take psychiatric you know snooze medicine yeah, because most of those things are just various chemical snooze buttons, and they save lives. I'm not saying if you need those things, you shouldn't use them. I'm just saying chemically, they don't take care of you. They just stop you from remembering how bad you feel. Mm. Well, it, if there's any sort of uh, consolation, I think uh, we're talking about uh, health uh, methodology, uh, health methods, or or medicine, or ideas around uh, taking care of oneself that are. Um, you know, wasn't just cooked up by some guy on Breaking Bad last week. No. <laughs> right? This is kind of ancient um, thinking and feeling and, and being around health, which is, um, in my mind, it's kind of, um, you know, you said about credibility. I think that would actually le- legitimizes it in, in a lot of ways because um, it's something that's been so um, studied and understood and uh, used um, in healthful ways. Yeah. And I would just say from my own personal experience, I'm much more, I'm much more confident working with people who actually have had these experiences in the sense of if I need to go and talk to a psychologist or a doctor or a shaman or a, a somebody to help me out with something, I, I, I don't really, I, I, don't, I don't think I'd even trust someone who thinks they know what's best for me when they have no idea what's best for them because they've never even gone off the the beaten path enough to find out who they are mm-hmm. i mean and that's the, the big question about this stuff is and i'm asking each other person who ever listens to this you know through all time of the internet 
Do you know who you are? Do you really want to find out? Do you really care? Hmm. And if you do, you will. Yeah. I think I'm kind of uh, done. Um, in, just in terms of taking this conversation forward or um, asking you to speak more about it. I mean, um, it'll be curious to talk to you um, after you do your next um conversation with fred <laughs> yeah well this is going to be the deepest dive in my entire existence as far as i'm told so yeah i'm just trying to keep my keep my seat as one of my elders would say just just to be to be with the impending com- complete annihilation of my ego so mm. eek. yeah <laughs> but again i'm just going to go back to what i had just said as, as the whole message of this podcast is do you know who you are and do you care and if you do you're going to be fine yeah. Uh, great advice. And uh, this has been uh, one hell of a podcast. Thanks for the conversation today, Michael. Yeah. And I, I, I have to add one last thing. If you know who you are and you care, great. If you don't, find out and find out why. Hmm. Very cool. Anyway, blessings to you all. Hope to see you on the other side. I'm sure you will. Yeah. Uh, Fusion Health Radio, uh, episode 34, uh, Mindfulness, Mindlessness, and You. I'm Anthony Sana. I'm Dr. Michael Smith. And uh, you can find us all over the internet, uh, Fusion Health Radio. Look for us on Facebook, uh, Stitcher, iTunes. Uh, share this with your friends. Uh, if you have any sort of questions or feedback, uh, Facebook is the way to do that. You can just message uh, Michael there. Uh, thanks for listening, folks, and we'll see you in the next podcast. Thanks, Michael. Bye. You have been listening to Fusion Health Radio. Please add your comments or post a question at Facebook slash Fusion Health Radio.